0: Welcome to the Deskbound Therapy Podcast, hosted by David London. David is a posture and mobility expert yoga teacher, and certified online trainer. This podcast is about empowering desk-bound professionals, how to live their healthiest life, and move pain-free. If you work at a desk job and want to move pain-free, look and feel your best. Let's get the conversation started to see if you could be a good fit for David's coaching program. Connect with us through all the social platforms and see the show notes below. Now, let's
1: dive into this episode.
0: This is a quote from Bhante Gunatarana. He says, meditation is called the great teacher. It is the cleansing crucible fire that works slowly but surely through understanding. The greater your understanding, the more flexible and tolerant, the more compassionate you can be. You become like a perfect parent or an ideal teacher. You are ready to forgive and forget. You feel love towards others because you understand them and you understand others because you have understood yourself. You have looked deeply inside and seen self-illusion and your own humanness, seen your own humanity and learned to forgive and to love. When you have learned compassion for yourself, compassion for others is automatic. An accomplished meditator, has achieved a profound understanding of life, and he or she inevitably relates to the world with a deep and uncritical love.
1: Wow, that was a beautiful quote. Welcome to episode twenty four of the Deskbound Therapy podcast. I'm your host, David London, and today it is my pleasure to introduce our guest, Amanda Gilbert, also known as on Instagram as Amanda Gilbert Meditation. She is a meditation teacher and has one of the most soothing voices I've ever heard. So I'm very relaxed right now after that quote. Welcome.
0: Thank you, David, I'm so happy to be here right now.
1: So uh, I'm very curious, how did you get into meditation yourself? What inspired you to begin your journey?
0: So I have a little bit of a unique story in the meditation space overall, which is that in as many different ways, meditation found me at a really young age when I was in high school. It's the first time I learned to meditate, and it was the first time I was guided to turn my attention inwards. So I was at a school. In West Virginia um, and finishing my last year of high school and was taught how to meditate by two or three of the teachers there and I always remembered that first time in meditation where as a teenager you know going through all the things all the feels, all the teenage angst all the uncertainty I was like always really questioning things I remember growing up as a kid I remember turning my attention inwards for the first time and just feeling this immense sense of knowing this sense of familiarity and this sense of true peace for the first time and I always remembered that after that first meditation. After that I you know I kept meditating here and there. I studied holistic health and wellness in college and meditation and mindfulness was part of my curriculum even in my undergraduate studies. However, it wasn't until I hit like a really big rock bottom, like a really big moment in my early adulthood, where it was one of those moments that, um, you know, everything just kind of changes and the rug gets pulled out from under you. And I really went through like my first, my first time of just questioning everything and having to kind of cobble my identity and myself back together. And it was in that same in that same chapter where i remembered back to all the times i'd meditated before and how i had always felt better after meditating and that's when i got really serious about meditation i went and studied with my first formal teacher and that is also when i learned daily meditation so i've been meditating for over 17 years and i started a daily meditation practice in 2009
1: Wow, that's a great story. It seems like meditation has kind of evolved with you as you've grown as a person yourself and you've gone through school and through life. Is Would you say that's what kind of created your passion to become a teacher and now a professor?
0: Yes, most definitely. What actually, I get asked this a lot, uh, you know, what made you want to teach meditation or how did you become a meditation teacher? And very much mirroring my story of how I learned to meditate and how I first began with teaching, it was very organic as well. I had been meditating daily for quite a bit of time at that point, like six or seven years, and I started to get asked the same question by Everyone I was seeing on a weekly or daily level, like my colleagues at the University of California, San Francisco, where I was doing research, clinical research on meditation and mindfulness at the time, or the local barista that I would go see every single morning for my Americano to start my day, or all my friends and family, like my close friends and family, they started to ask me this similar question, this consistent question, which said, you know, what are you up to? What are you doing right now in your life? Like my uh, co-workers, my colleagues would would ask like, what are you having for lunch today, Amanda? Let me see your lunch. And I would show them my very unexciting salad. <laughs> and then, you know, I would get asked like, what yoga studio are you going to? Or like, where do you work out? And I was like, you know, I just kind of, I, you know, walk outside. I don't really go to a consistent yoga studio. And I got asked this question enough where I started to ask a follow-up question. I was like, why are you asking me, you know, about my my lunch or, you know, about my daily habits? And the follow-up answer was, well, you know, you're so happy all the time or you're so peaceful and I feel so calm around you. And, um, you know, my colleagues would say things like, you handled that moment of tension and stress during our meeting so gracefully and so well. And they they were curious. What I learned was they were curious what makes me me. And I realized after some of that inquiry that they were really asking about my meditation practice. Because the truth and the answer is, was, and is that meditation makes me me.
1: Oh, well, that's... That's super cool. I find a lot of the times too, when I was starting my practice, I didn't see the benefits directly myself until people were telling me that I seemed less distracted and I seemed more focused and I seemed more like myself, but it's very cool that we can connect on that point is a lot of people just become inspired and see the benefits of you doing the practice, even when maybe you feel like meditation is just, isn't working for you.
0: Absolutely. It's actually one of the very first signs that meditation is really getting into the nooks and crannies of your life, which is your inner circles, your close friends, the people you see on the weekly or the daily, just like me, all my colleagues at university, uh, you know, they start to say things like that. Like, hey, um, you just seem a lot more centered. You seem a lot more grounded, solid, peace, calm, happier. You know, what's going on? I had a student one time, uh, a couple years ago, she had just learned meditation and had been meditating for about six weeks. And uh, she told me this story that her brother was on the phone with her when she was at her university dorm and the fire alarm started to go off and she was on the phone with him and uh, they were hearing this really loud fire alarm going off. And he, after a couple of minutes of him being like, what is that, are you okay? And they were assessing her safety and she was fine. It was like even not a real fire alarm, just like a, a test. And his immediate answer or his immediate comment and observation of her was, Okay. Normally, you'd be freaking out in this moment, and I would have to be really managing your your stress and your extreme freak out. He goes, "You've been meditating, right? You told me you started to meditate." <laughs> and she said, "Yes, I started to meditate five or six weeks ago." And he said, "Please, please keep doing that. It is working." So, you know, I share that story because uh, it was a really like obvious, clear pre post to me was somebody who had just learned to meditate. And that was someone who had known her, you know, her whole life had that observation of her.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. Because I've tried many different types of meditation myself. And it's taken me a lot of practice to determine which ones I like doing on a daily basis, where some days I'll just do different things. For example, like some days I just put on some very slow healing music, and I just kind of close my eyes, breathe, and move. Other days, I feel my body needs a seated practice with no breathing at all, just silence. And then I find myself some days I need a more breath focused practice.
0: Right. And that's a really good prescriptive approach to take, uh, you know, to understand what it is, what facet of meditation you need and desire in that moment and on that day, meditation is extremely precise and really medicinal. You know, I find when when you allow yourself to really take that step back and say, what do I need today? Like, what is the exact quality that I need? And, you know, for example, you just said um, that some days you focus on your breath. And that is an extremely wonderful practice to produce high levels of concentration and focus for the mind. So perhaps, most likely, uh, you you feel really like clear and productive and inspired and excited and motivated and and clear-minded to meet the rest of your day. Whereas if you're You know, doing one of your practices where you're putting on music in the background and letting that be your focus in the present moment, you might feel really like sublimely relaxed after that period of meditation. So, the different facets of the practice do produce different results.
1: So, what would you recommend would be the best way? to get started as someone who is not working from home and a desk-bound professional, find their doorway to begin meditation, would you suggest they start with a specific type?
0: So, absolutely. I I say um, that approaching meditation In the same way that you would approach any kind of new endeavor in life and not necessarily like just like a new hobby that you're picking up but something that you feel like really called to, and more so perhaps you've been suggested to meditate by your doctor or by a close friend or your neighbor or a family member. Like you've gotten that feedback in your life uh, from somebody saying, hey, have you checked out meditation? (laughs) It it might be really, really helpful for you or supportive for you in some way. And so I think uh, a great doorway in to meditation is um is understanding that the, at the very base level of the practice, you're learning to sustain your attention in the present moment. And there's a few different tradi- uh, two different traditions of meditation and a few different entry level techniques. Um, but from the mindfulness perspective, which is one of the traditional lineages of meditation, um, you place your attention upon the breath or upon the body or even upon sounds around you in your environment. Why? Because those three things your breath, the body, and sounds are always occurring in the present moment. There's absolutely no way you can breathe yesterday's breath or tomorrow's breath nor can you hear yesterday's sounds or yesterday's musical tune that you were jamming on or you you can't hear sounds from the future either. You can only hear sounds in the now. You can only breathe the breath in the now. You can only have this direct experience of sitting and breathing and being and walking and laying down in the body in the now. So we use those three anchors in the present moment and mindfulness meditation and that's where I suggest people begin is is learning to stay with one of those three anchors I I always suggest uh the breath and like a really nice um you know relaxing basic body scan at first to learn how to build your capacity to stay in the present moment with your attention
1: yeah one thing I find with myself too is I'm very in the moment, you know, the first few hours a day, right after my meditation practice, whatever form it may be, then I find as soon as we get to the computer and we start doing work, like, it's like we forget how to breathe and I'll just catch myself be like, I'm just typing. I haven't breathed in like 10 minutes. And then recently when I, I'm more I'm a bit more mindful and I can remember, I, I sometimes like right now, I'm just, I'm, it allows me to think a lot slower, a lot more clear, kind of taking, you know just a small little breath in between my thoughts. And I find when I get back into that flow, I'm so much more productive, but it's just so easy to sometimes forget how to breathe and take those skills from your practice and implement them in real life.
0: Right. And what, what you're what you bringing up is really a great key underpinning and, and understanding of meditation and mindfulness, actually, which is meditation and mindfulness are different. You know, they, the, the terms and the names are and the words are thrown around pretty interchangeably in contemporary media and contemporary even like wellness culture today. But they're actually two different things. They're two different functions. They're two different practices that you do. Meditation is the formal training that we were just talking about of bringing your attention to the breath or body or sounds or even some phrases or words in the mind uh, that point the mind and the heart towards states of uh, compassion and kindness and happiness and joy. So in meditation, you are training your your mind and your heart to to be here in the present moment. You're training your attention to be here in the present moment. But what is produced is exactly what you were just describing. What's produced is mindfulness, the ability to be in the present moment, moment to moment in our lives. And so that, that mindfulness came in and said to you, wait a minute, I haven't really like followed my breath or I haven't really experienced my breath fully for like the last 10 minutes. I I had that moment yesterday too. I was like right in the middle of, um, you know, getting, I think some, some papers together for one of my classes at USC here in Los Angeles, where I'm teaching mindfulness to undergraduates. And I had that same moment of mindfulness. of I haven't really like taken a full deep breath in for the last like five minutes. (laughs) Like, let's do that. (laughs) So our mindfulness really serves as this like this daily momentum, like you said, like that flow of, of being able to be aware of what it is that's that's happening in your present moments, what it is you're doing, thinking, feeling. It's the ability to be aware moment to moment in our lives. So um, and I just actually wanted to loop back to the question that you Asked earlier, which is like, how do you start a meditation practice? Um, you know, for people who are especially like more working uh, at their desks a lot during the day and whatnot. And so I would say start small, start meditating on one of these three objects in the present moment, breath, body sounds for like three to five minutes a day, even to start with. That's what I always suggest: is start small the science of habit formation actually tells us that you are most likely to sustain a habit long term and even start a real new habit if you decide to start with a manageable amount an manageable and approachable amount of time at first so start Placing your attention in the present moment upon the breath, body, or sounds for like three to five minutes to begin with. And then you'll start to notice, even from those short periods of time each day, that function of mindfulness you were just describing so well, David. So I just wanted to loop back with that suggestion.
1: No, you bring up a great point there. And actually, it made me think a little bit because for the people who would like to start their meditation practice, someone like you, even who's been practicing for Seventeen years, you still see you're not perfect. You had a moment as well where you know you had to use that mindfulness to tap back into the moment. And I think a lot of people feel it. Ha- you have to be perfect with the practice, but I think it's it shows a good perspective that everyone's still learning and growing, and it's it's a lifelong thing to become more mindful. And it's okay if there's times during the day where you aren't 100% mindful.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I so oh, I actually love this 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 phrase in the meditation world that that says, uh, you know, in, in many ways, unless you are a monk living up in the Himalayas and on like a ten year silent retreat in solitude, in modern culture, there really isn't um, a way to be mindful. 24 hours of the day or 24 seven. And when I first heard that, I, in a sense, part of my like, idealistic aspirations about mindfulness and meditation kind of shattered. I was like, Oh, well, I kind of wanted that for myself. And that sounds really good. And in a way that's in my mind, just like you're saying, like that perfect picture of meditation and what it should look like in my mind, that's what I, what I should be striving for. And, and, you know, that's that expectation I have for, for my practice. And when I heard that it actually really let all the pressure out of the tires. So to speak, it really like allowed me to let go of this idea, this mental idea and this expectation that I had about what meditation should look like and how I should even be as a meditator. And, in the most fundamental way, uh, meditation is a practice for human beings. In its most fundamental capacity, it is a, it is a practice for human beings. It is it is non denominational. It is not religious. It is not for any sort of class or sect or specific group of people. It is a practice for human beings, and it's teaching us and pointing us towards our own humanness and as human beings we are perfectly imperfect we all go through the experience of life's 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows and to really approach our not only our lives but our practice in that way with a lot of spaciousness a lot of allowance a lot of curiosity A lot of non-judgment, like that's the key to really like deepening one's meditation practice. Even if you're meditating for five minutes a day, you can still deepen your experience with not bringing judgment to yourself and, you know, towards your meditation practice.
1: I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Take a second, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five star review and a comment. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what you want to see next. Let me know who you want me to interview. We really appreciate your feedback. It's going to help us grow the Deathbound Therapy podcast and promote the Deathbound Therapy lifestyle. Yeah, one thing I really liked from your meditation course was the mental cues and reminders because I find I can carry them with me throughout the day where if my mind's drifting or I'm thinking about something later during the practice, like a big one for me was when you were telling me to just remember to just be. And I find that's the biggest thing when we have that sense of self-judgment or we just feel distracted. But having those takeaways and those anchor points are one of the things in my practice that are the most powerful for me is just having something whether it's a theme for a day or a theme for life something to to ground yourself with.
0: Right. And that concept of just being. I I love that that resonated with you David because that's really what our practice one of the many like real true functions that our practice is pointing us to is this this Place of just being our ourselves and our true selves. It's this discovery process of learning who we really are, beyond the roles that we take on in our lives, beyond the identities and personality traits that we formed, beyond the ego, beyond our to-do list, beyond the surface layer of everyday thoughts and thinking. There's uh, our natural state of awareness, which is this awareness that that is the state where we're just being, we're not doing, we're not striving, we're not conceptualizing, we're not thinking. And that can be a very healing and insightful experience for for meditators to arrive at, even if it's just like for a glimpse and a split second. And those cues that you're referencing from the home meditation audio course, those, I mean, those instructions are specifically designed to like, consistently with so much spaciousness and so much love guide us back to this natural state of being which is always here for us in the present moment
1: yeah it's it's a really good course I enjoyed it because even someone who is advanced I was able to kind of hone in on specific points of my practice I wanted to work on or even just having something new really helps kind of build your habits and build your patterns and I found for me I had trouble doing anything that wasn't breath work i was dependent on it for my practice because i knew it worked for me and putting myself in your course where there was a bit of talking and then some mindful listening to your breath scanning the body and then a little bit more guidance for me it helped me grow my practice to the next level because before i i was i wasn't i would want to say afraid of the silence but i found it super super challenging especially after coming from, I was doing these mindset meditations where they were just, you know, two to five minutes for the last, you know, the previous maybe four or five months. So mm-hmm. it's, it's cool that at any level, you can keep growing your practice and keep learning from somebody else. And
0: how is your meditation, like, currently showing up for you, like today or this week or during this current time period, David?
1: I know it's a little stressful for a lot of people for the, the COVID-19, but I'm just trying to, you know stay in the moment. I'm expressing a lot of gratitude for, you know, for my health, for my family, for my the desktop therapy community. And just really trying to look at all the bright sides. Cause as negative as it is, it's still, you know, so so important that we show gratitude, whether it's for the people, you know, working at the hospitals or even just grateful I'm able to run my business online and run this podcast during these hard times and still, you know, be able to help people over social media. So I've been doing a lot more mindfulness now that I'm home more. I've finally, a goal of mine was to pair it with my journaling. And I finally started to journal after my meditation to take it to the next level. So maybe that's something you can talk about if that's something you would suggest.
0: Oh, this is so exciting to me in a few different ways, which is um, I like that natural progression for you where uh, it sounds like on your own, you had this insight to say, I want to have like." a writing journal by my side, like next to my cushion or next Mm. to the, the couch or the chair that I'm meditating on. And uh, it sounds like you are capturing like some of your, perhaps some of your insights from your, during your meditation practice or any creative ideas that you perhaps had arising or falling. And that is something I suggest. I actually, so I learned this journaling technique on one of my recent silent meditation retreats. This was about three years ago. And um, the, the style of journaling is called bullet style journaling. So instead of necessarily writing out long form sentences, which is a beautiful practice too, like the morning page exercises where you're writing out two and a half pages every single morning and getting into that flow state of, creativity and and output and tapping into your inner uh, intuition and your inner voice like that like that is also a beautiful practice and if that's what you're doing or if that's what calls to your heart like please go ahead and and do that long-form writing and journaling and I found that this bullet point journaling practice where you come out of meditation and you pick up your practice journal at your side and you approach like the writing in a series of bullet points. So you're really, in a sense, reflecting back upon the period of meditation that you just had and writing down like your key insights, your key takeaways, your key, awesome, great next big ideas about your life or you know what you want next or what you want to you know, manifest or the next big business idea. I was just talking to a student last night, actually, who who said her share was um, that she had a like incredible. Uh, positive thinking uh, an incredible positive thinking experience during meditation because she was so excited about her upcoming business ideas (laughs) so she and so her question was you know should I come back to the breath even when it's like a really good thought train Amanda and I said you know this is a great example because we can recognize that we're having a good period of thinking during meditation too right like you know eighty percent of our thoughts are are a little bit more on the unpleasant side of things they are they do tend to be more negative because we have a negativity bias as human beings where the mind kind of scans and looks for things that aren't quite going our way and aren't going the way that we want them to go. So we do have, we are prone to this negativity bias, but the- in meditation, we also, like you were just saying, we can focus on the good. We can bring to consciousness and bring to light, you know, our gratitudes and what is going well in our life in the areas that we have appreciation around and so um you know I, my suggestion to her was at, you know recognize bring your mindfulness to that positive train of thinking and at some point yes still bring your attention back to the present moment still reestablish your attention and awareness with the breath and I suggested the bullet point the bullet uh journaling to her and said you know write down those those key creative moments after your meditation practice, it can be so tempting to actually like open your eyes for a moment and grab your journal and, and write down like, all the great things that are coming to mind during meditation. The suggestion recommendation though, is to stay in your practice for the dedicated time that you set aside the five minutes, the 10 minutes, the 20, the, the 30, the 60, whatever, however long you're meditating for, and then pick up your journal and do either the long form journaling or this bullet, this bullet style journaling where you're just really going down and bulleting out like all your key takeaways and insights from your period of practice.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a really great technique to start the journaling. And it's definitely something, there's still a little bit of resistance for me to stay consistent with it, but I'm trying my best to just write one or two things. And just like you recommended last time we talked, just starting you know, small with your meditation practice and just establishing that baseline of consistency. Because anytime you, like, just like you said, when you're adding something, you want it to be small steps rather than too much. So I'm trying to just say, First, it was just rating how the practice went and then how I feel or if I'm tired before the practice and how I feel afterwards before I get into, you know, writing essays and paragraphs, just something more sustainable. And that way, too, eventually I like to write down the type of practice I did and compare that to how I felt so I know which ones like are working best for me in the current time.
0: David, you're like a natural self-studier.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've grown a lot in the past year, but I'm always I'm always looking within and asking. I'm just always want to learn and I'm I just kind of get bored with when things are the same, so I'm always just trying to spice it up. And it's good it can be mindful at the same time. and combine the two. Oh, yes.
0: Absolutely. You can apply your mindfulness to mindful learning and self-awareness and self-discovery. I mean, in many ways, meditation is the system and the procedures that we, that we engage with that allow us to be our own inner scientists of, of discovery. We, we gather points of self-data, exactly what you're saying, oh, this works for me, this doesn't work for me, or I feel this way about this, I feel you know, this way about that. We can start to understand more so our nature of mind, all the thoughts that we have going on in our mind, the habits of mind, again, are we a little bit more uh, in the realm of the negativity bias? Are we kind of learning to rest in gratitude a little bit more during the days as well? And we also understand our true nature, that, that sense of being when the heart and the body and the mind can just unwind and relax for a few moments, especially in meditation.
1: So what are some sort of things people can expect when they're starting their practice? Cause I know for me, just like you said, we're prone to that negativity bias and I notice a lot of like visualizations come up for me and a lot of thoughts. And just like you said, sometimes they're negative memories, sometimes they're ideas and goals. Like what could, should people expect with, you know, just what they should kind of observe with themselves?
0: Well, it, it, so not every single meditation teacher is going to say this in this way, but I like to be so just frank about this aspect of the practice. After you've started to meditate with a little bit of consistency, mm-hmm. after you've learned how to meditate and, have, and continue with the practice for even within the first three to five days or definitely within the first week, what tends to happen is you actually become more self-aware. So therefore you are more aware of all the thoughts that you have going on in the mind. Doesn't mean they weren't there before. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's something that I that I hear a lot is ever since I started to meditate, I I think more. And you know, the, the loving the loving guidance there is, well. You know, a couple things is that most likely those thoughts were already there. However, your awareness has been turned on your ability to recognize what's happening in internally and externally around you from one moment to the next, that's been increased. So you're more aware of your thoughts in the mind. And you can also become much more aware of your mood states and your emotional states and all of your feelings that you're holding in the body and within the nervous system and within the heart. And so there's this bridge that happens right after you really start to consistently meditate. And this is where I think some people really, they don't, they, they get a little like confused or freaked out because there isn't like, so there isn't that guidance there or, or a teacher that they can talk to about this, or they haven't read, um, you know, the book enough books on, on the, the subject matter of meditation, but this is very common. And there's a bridge that we have to cross as meditators, which is noticing becoming more self-aware and noticing all of the thoughts and emotions and feelings that, that are present and allowing them to be there. And after we allow them to be there, that's when things become workable. That's when we start to apl- apply these these facets of meditation and mindfulness, which are the facets of the heart, the facets of non judgment. Can I learn to not judge all the thoughts that are happening in my mind, even if it's five hundred thoughts in five minutes? Can I actually like radically yeah. not judge that experience? Like wow, like I mean, meditation is so incredible incredibly revolutionary in this way i I really have yet to discover like any other modality or practice or medium or experience where you're really asked to to like let go of all of that stuff let go of the judgment mind let go of your usual way of reacting or responding to things so we learn to meet these things that we become more aware of with non-judgment with kindness with compassion, with inclusion, you know, how can we like welcome all of these thoughts that we're all of a sudden aware of? And it's from there that's when the real like the deep the the real healing, like the deeper work really starts to set in in meditation is once we realize that we do hold a lot in our hearts and our minds as a human being. And meditation will make you more aware of this. However, that awareness is the gift. That awareness is the gift that leads you to, um, you know, really, really working with with your nature of mind and uh, really meeting yourself in, in a beautiful healing way.
1: Very, very well put. So how could someone use that, their gift and their awareness to to reduce stress? Is it, the fact that they have control over their thoughts that they can reduce stress or is it the benefit? Like you said, you distinguish meditation from mindfulness. Is it, are the benefits coming from being more mindful to help control stress? So,
0: so meditation and mindfulness, they're traditionally practices for insight and awareness and awakening exactly what we were just talking about. And this is such a great follow-up question because just like there's that moment of um, acknowledgement from a lot of new meditators that why why am I thinking so much or oh my god you know what what's going on here I'm so much more aware of everything what do I do with all of this awareness so in the West and it, meditation's really been painted in the last couple of decades in this way where where it's it it's known as a stress reduction technique and that is absolutely true by the way so. Especially from the lens of clinical research, we do understand that meditation is, is one of the best antidotes to stress. And this happens from its natural functioning. The Each time we bring our attention back to the present moment, to the body, to the breath, to sounds like we were talking about earlier you uh, you create these new neural network pathways in the mind. And this is what creates these new grooves of conditioning, these new grooves of, of being. And this actually produces also physiological effects in the body. Your cortisol decreases, your... Heart rate elongates, your breath rate elongates, your blood pressure lowers, uh, inflammation decreases, your gene expression uh, around um, well-being also flourishes after six to eight weeks of meditation. This all points to to greater stress reduction, and you know to understand that when you bring your attention back. Each and every time that it is wandered away, that's what leads to the stress reduction. Uh, I think that's like really the doorway in for for a lot of um, you know for a lot of meditators is is understanding that you don't have to do too much other than show up and keep. Showing up within the practice, keep showing up back to the present moment, and that will make you feel better. You know, even if you're having more awareness, that level of being able to meet your stress in a different way and diffuse your stress within the body and within the mind over time, especially within that. Uh, first four days and up to eight weeks, we really see a lot of significant change around stress reduction for new meditators, for novice meditators during that time, just by showing up. The practice, the practice has that natural capacity within it.
1: Yeah, one quote I really like from when I was doing my yoga teacher training is that the breath is, is kind of like a knife, and you know, a very dull knife can be. Can be, is a, you know? Can be dangerous and can be a not very useful tool. And then once you learn to you know sharpen that knife, it becomes very powerful. And the same thing is that you learn to control your breath, and learn to you know be more mindful and control your mind. That's when you start to see the benefits in the of the practice.
0: Yeah, and I would I would even say it's like a level of like relating to your mind, you know, from, from the mindfulness perspective, it's not necessarily so much about control. I, and I completely understand what you're saying with that though, too, of, of like choosing to, to rest in gratitude and choosing positive mind states. And, and, you know, that is a, an aspect of the practice. And I think like at first, especially that can seem a little like daunting that can seem a little heavy, like how am I going to control my thoughts and what's what am I supposed to be doing in this experience with all of these different thoughts that I'm having? And I think like the first step is really relating to your thoughts and even relating to your breath exactly as it is. You know, I hear this comment a lot in in meditation students, where they ask, you know, should I be taking long breaths, like that real long, exaggerated inhale, and just like, let that breath out, and that real long, like yoga breath out, and, you know, the answer from the the mindfulness perspective is, well, you know, really, we, we don't try to control, or change, or manipulate our experience, or our breath, or even our thoughts in the mind at first. We just learn to simply allow things to be and from there we can re-relate to them in a particular way through those ways of non-judgment kindness and compassion
1: one thing i really love about your practice is how you take the practice outside of the practice like i've seen from your stories you're very mindful with your eating and the food you eat and the way uh, and in other ways such as like the way you just even just just being on this podcast with you you're very slow with the words and calm and mindful and you know a lot of people just have racing thoughts but it's very cool Mm -hmm. to see how you're you've connected things and so would you suggest it's it's best to start obviously small just sitting with the breath and welcoming it and then starting to be you know adding mindfulness in other areas of your life because it's cool because you're a health coach so you're you're putting the pieces together which is something I'm really passionate about
0: yeah, I, I love that, and I actually am so curious to hear like how this has been going, showing up for you too, uh, David. Because I feel like from our last conversation, you were saying like, oh, I've really noticed that this the mindfulness has been uh, getting into the day, the day to day, and and that's what happens. Remember that med- med- mindfulness is a natural outcome from your meditation practice. Meditation is the training mindfulness is what happens. It's what's grown from the training, just like muscles are grown from, from weight training, the body, your, your mindfulness is grown from your meditation training in the mind. And so what exactly what you're just saying, it, it just, ha- your mindfulness just tends to seep out into all of these areas of your life. And you're, you become more aware and more self-aware of, Oh, when I eat this particular food, this makes me feel good. When I eat this particular food, that makes me feel really crummy. And then, and then, just like in meditation, we introduce that choice. You know, how do I? What you were pointing us to, like, how do I want to relate to this data? I just, I just became aware of. Okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, perhaps eat less of that food that makes me feel not so great, and I'm going to eat more of the food that makes me feel good, and you know, supports my health and overall well-being. And so, our practice, mindfulness in daily life. It, it is a, it's so synonymous with well-being, you know, one of the, my favorite ways of defining mindfulness in daily life is actually, it's, it's a form of well-being and it's a form of self-care and it's a way to like really extend care and love to yourself or be in that practice, be in that process of learning how to befriend and extend genuine care and love towards yourself and just like how when you eat the thing that doesn't make you feel good (laughs) and and you're not feeling great after you eat it those same principles apply how instead of meeting yourself with harshness or criticism or judgment can you actually meet yourself with compassion and understanding well I eat that thing because it gives me like a moment of relief or it, it satisfies my sweet tooth And it makes me feel good for those few moments that I'm eating it. So, you know, we really apply these principles to like all areas of life. And you can bring your mindfulness to anything and everything that you do. Doesn't mean like we were talking about earlier, you're going to sustain that like during each moment of the day. However, mindfulness has that ability to be present with us during anything that we're doing during any conversation that we're having this conversation we're having right now we can be holding our attention and um in the present moment listening to each other speak genuinely being connected to our body and our hearts and our in our breath as we're as we're speaking the words that we that we are individually speaking we can allow mindfulness to be present as we're walking down the street or exercising we can hold that level of awareness in the body and be really compassionate and aware of the of the benefits that we're experiencing from that mindful movement and so it's a beautiful practice because it does it naturally extends to like each and every nook and cranny and area of our lives and it's also something that we can be really intentional around um you know being mindful as you're making or cooking your food preparing your meals eating your meals (laughs) not racing through eating your meals I hear this so much especially for working professionals at lunch they're like everyone's like I'm just racing through like my 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 lunch, you know, salad or my, my burger in like 10 minutes. And then I'm just, you know, back at the desk and back at the computer. And I've actually heard so much beautiful, like, practice around um, people giving themselves this boundary around their their lunch times and their mindful eating time at lunch and saying all right I'm actually not going to be at the computer or the desk when I'm eating my lunch and I'm going to take 20 minutes instead of 10 and I'm going to be aware of each bite that I'm taking and you know really savor each and every single bite and flavor of food so it's a practice of learning to, to be and to anchor ourselves in each moment no matter where where we are, who we're speaking with, what we're doing, or where we are in the world.
1: It's like you read my mind. I was actually just about to bring up that point. Is recently, just like you said, I'm like a, a self starter. And it, when I'm eating recently for the past, let's say, two or three weeks, I've been putting away, used to watch TV, put away my phone. And I would just kind of sit there with my food, really just in the moment, just with the food, and really just take, like, I'll, I'll chew and take a nice, you know, Nice deep breath and really just try to feel that food in my whole body. And it's been like, great. Like I'm I'm eating less and I'm like more full and I just feel more connected and more satiated. And it's because eating is an emotional experience too. We, a lot of times when we're just rushing through that, we're going to carry that same, you know, at least I believe you're going to carry that same energy rushed energy into everything else you do. So just trying to really enjoy the experience.
0: Right. And and doing exactly what you just described, like if we can create these anchors within our days, uh, your three to five minutes of meditation in the morning, your 20 minutes of actual meditation practice, morning and evening, or your lunchtime every single day where you practice mindful eating, you you allow yourself to have these touch-ins with your, with your greater awareness, your greater presence. These qualities that actually pr- promote your feeling of wellness and your overall well-being, and one of my favorite sayings in the meditation world is 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 um, the following, which says: small amounts of practice many times a day. Small amounts of practice many times a day, and if we can create these consistent anchors, like you know what, this week I'm going to practice mindful eating at lunch, and I'm not going to be on my phone. <laughs> And I am just, I'm going to really be in that emotional awareness as I'm speaking or eating, excuse me. And I'm going to really like be aware of all the, the nutrients and nourishment that I'm taking in. That's a way to stay connected and anchored in your, your qualities of heart and mind. It's a way to like give yourself these touch-ins during the day with your, with your mindfulness practice.
1: It's so true. And. And there's just so many things about meditation, mindfulness that keep things fresh and keep things interesting. And as you start to, as we said, you know, become more self-aware, that's when things really start to become fun. Like even for me with my practice, like I know I'm super like in the zone, is when my face kind of feels all tingly and I've got like energy surrounding my body. Like that's my, that's my kind of my cue that, all right, I'm in it, this is working. And then I start to surrender a bit more and I start to really get into, into my zone
0: that's so beautiful david and i'm i'm curious like what has been some of your like key insights from your practice like your key takeaways of like oh i'm a awa- i'm now more aware that i feel like this or i have this tendency within me since you've started to meditate
1: i noticed that my thoughts were very fast in the past and i wasn't able to slow them down as effectively whereas now when i meditate things are starting to race a lot a lot less and less and i start to be able to have many moments of just being there and also it allows you to be comfortable with the self like before i used to be afraid of silence and be afraid to you know be with myself but it, it helps you grow a lot by developing that practice because once you remove all of the other distraction of the noise you can really just start to at least for me like uncover like your natural energy and who you are and just it feels good that's all
0: (laughs) (laughs) I that's so beautiful and I'm glad you brought that that up that aspect up again of like being comfortable in your in your own stillness and in your own silence and in your own solitude because indeed as you were just saying as modern human beings we're really not used to that We're a little removed from ourselves, you know, in in so many ways until we begin a, a, a contemplative practice where it asks us to be here. It asks us to be here in the body, heart and mind, regardless of what it is that's happening, regardless of how we're feeling, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of how easy or hard it is. That's the practice is... Learning to stay, learning to stay at first. And then the most beautiful gifts start to arise, like you're saying. I'm a little more comfortable being in silence and stillness. And when I'm in that silence and stillness, I feel good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we don't always need labels. That's I find like humans and people, we love to label things, but really we don't need any labels. Right. Just be like you said, is 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 my you know my my takeaway
0: beautiful i i know and i i was actually talking with a meditation teacher friend of mine um several years ago at this point and he he's a senior teacher he's been meditating for about like or excuse me teaching meditation for about 40 years and Yeah. And he had this, he said this great thing that, that it really struck me at the time. And I'll, I'll, I always bring it up even consistently and I'll never forget it. He goes, you know, Amanda, what we're really doing as teachers is we're just looking for people to say that they feel better. And he goes, we can say a lot of this and that about meditation or the, he he said this, he said it this way. He's like a lot of blah, blah, blah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you could, you know, you could say a lot of blah, blah, blah about, about meditation. He goes, but really, really, if you feel better, then, you know, this practice is for you. That's what we're looking for is you just feel better in some way, shape or form. And I was like, yeah, there, that's it. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less.
1: So who are some other people who you find inspiration from at this point in your practice?
0: Hmm. So I I am really inspired by several senior teachers in um, my tradition of meditation, which um, I is Buddhist-based. So going back to what we were saying before is that mindfulness is a practice for human beings. It's not religious or denominational in any in any way. And mindfulness comes from Comes from Buddhism. That's its traditional roots. And just like uh, uh, transcendental meditation, or Vedic meditation, or mantra meditation, and even yogic breathing comes from the yoga school of India. That's where that these modern practices come from. From that traditional school, mindfulness comes from Buddhism. And there's there's two Buddhist lineages that really um, that I really study with and one is is the insight meditation lineage which is um which is theraveda buddhism here in the west and i'm so inspired by so many teachers in that lineage like i i i really enjoy teachings from jack cornfield and joseph goldstein sharon salzberg and tara brock um, and more so, uh, Bhante Gunatarana, the Buddhist monk that w- that was the quote that we opened up our podcast with. Bhante Gunatarana is absolutely one of my favorite traditional Buddhist teachers, Theravada um, Buddhist teachers. He grew up in Sri Lanka and was a Buddhist monk, I believe, around the age of nine. And then he came over to the United States and studied at an American university, gained his PhD, I believe, and has been a consultant like for the U.S. governments and the governments of Sri Lanka on uh, how to bring mindfulness into the modern world. And so he's a huge inspiration of mine. He's absolutely one of my favorite teachers. The book that the quote is from, and this is actually... For, for any of uh, any for anyone who's who's listening to this who has studied meditation with me you know that I'm always pulling from this book and his teachings and I'm always like reading bonte bonte goods uh, but his book is called mindfulness in plain English and it's just like such a rich reservoir of really accessible simple teachings on meditation so I gain a lot of inspiration from him and then I also gain a lot of inspiration from some teachers in the Shambhala or Mahayana lineage of Buddhism, such as Pema Sherdan.
1: Very, very cool. Wow. That's shout out to those teachers. I'm going to definitely (laughs) check out that book. (laughs) We're going to finish off with my favorite segment. It's called rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you five or six questions and just answer whatever comes to the top of your head. So the first one is actually quite difficult. How would you describe meditation in one word? Love. What are a few of your favorite books?
0: Mindfulness in plain English.
1: Nice, nice. And what are some words you live by day to day?
0: Presence, kindness, compassion, health, well-being.
1: Awesome. I love those. What is a failure of yours that you have learned a lot from?
0: Each time I feel constricted and judgmental, that is like a mini failure that <laughs> that I learn from each and every day because it gives me the opportunity to choose kindness and choose connection and choose compassion
1: That's great see it doesn't always need to be you know something a failure that's negative it can just be that you're you're becoming more compassionate that's great so A big one here to finish off, where do you see yourself in five years?
0: Hmm. Well, I see myself in five years. Well, I am in the process of writing my first book and I just announced that publicly about a week ago. over social media. And it was such a beautiful moment to receive, like, so much celebration and acknowledgement and support. I am writing my book with Shambhala Publications, just a beautiful and leading publisher on meditation and mindfulness books in particular. And So I'm really deeply devoted to this this process of writing this book right now, which is on the heart practices of of mindfulness meditation. A lot of what we talked about today, uh, the facets of kindness, compassion, and the book will also cover practices on happiness and joy and equanimity. So I... In a sense, this is you know this is what my my teaching and my work has turned into in this moment is like writing and writing from this place during this time of of really trying to provide a resource just like Bonte's book has been a resource for me for all over these for all of these last many years I am writing from this place where I just I want this to be a resource for readers and for meditators for like a good chapter of their practice path and for, and to be by their cushion for a period of time. Um, So I, my hope is that in five years, there'll, there, this will be the first out of a couple of books and that, you know, I'm really being able to witness uh, so many people benefiting from the practice, feeling better (laughs) as we were discussing before and, and that, you know, this, this writing that I'm currently doing, um, has a small little role in a small little piece in in their, their
1: experience. I'm definitely looking forward to to reading your book when it comes out. It's going to, it's really great that you got a lot of great feedback as well on social media. So definitely excited for you on that. I actually do have one more question. I was meaning to ask, uh, what is your morning routine? Like,
0: Yes. So I have a morning routine that it's just been, it's been tried and true over the years. And so I'll I'll walk us through in a pretty succinct way because I do the same thing over and over again, each and every morning. And it, it actually encompasses a lot of what we were talking about with daily mindfulness and daily life. So I wake up and I first have a, have the two words to two simple Yet powerful words float through my mind, which are the two words, thank you. So I start my day with gratitude. And from there, I actually say to myself some iteration of, you know, may today be a day that I live fully. May today be a good day. May I bring my full heart and presence to this day. So I set up like a positive mind uh, mindset for the day, even before I get out of bed. After I get out of bed, I go ahead. I have a glass of lemon water. I make some tea. Uh, my practice begins with um, a little mindful tea sipping in the morning and some tea meditation. I read I read meditation literature actually. So, all of the teachers that I mentioned before, I will read some of their books in the morning. Um, I also read traditional texts and and the suttas from the Buddha uh, each and every morning. And then I go into my meditation practice. So, I have a pretty, like, a pretty regular routine a practice routine in the morning where I I do I do all that prep work for practice and then I practice and then from there I'll I'll go and make a a mindful matcha (laughs) more tea I'll Mm -hmm. have some breakfast and then I'll I'll go and move you know I really try to I either try to move like right after that that practice that daily practice or I'll I'll move uh, at the end of my day so it's kind of a I, that's where the, the crossroads really emerges in my morning is, am I going to go into writing? Am I going to go into work? Or am I going to move first and then come back to like my writing and my work?
1: Yeah, that's just something I was curious if you had a, a movement practice or you, you do any strength training. It sounds like you're walking and, and I guess movement are big for you. Do you find you doing, you know, physical fitness helps with your meditation practice?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like the two are completely intertwined. They, they really feed one another. So if you are, if your body is like weak, you know, just using the strength training reference, if your body is weak, or you're not tending to your physical happiness in the body, one of the ways I really love thinking about health, physical health these days is actually through the mindfulness lens that you experience physical health as a form of physical happiness. (laughs) So I've been really just loving like, just, you know, extending all these health and wellness practices to, oh, I'm actually cultivating like physical happiness right now. Doesn't that feel feel good and my body's feeling good in process. Um, so I it, it, absolutely to have a strong body, bonte for example, bonte Gunatirana recommends to all of his students that at the minimum at the minimum you go for a walk, a long walk every single day because that is what the, that physical movement and that physical strength is what's going to actually help you deepen your meditation practice.
1: Wow, that's, that's beautiful. Now I really want to read this book. <laughs> You'll have to send me the link once we're done with this episode.
0: Absolutely.
1: But thanks so much for coming on. And anyone who is listening, I highly encourage Amanda's meditation course. It's got three parts and it's really progressive and it's going to help you, at least in my opinion, sustainably start your practice and continue it. So I'll let everyone else know where they can connect with you on social media and um, stay in touch.
0: David, thank you so much for this beautiful episode, my friend. And thank you so much for sharing your practice with all of us, too. It is absolutely inspiring, motivating, and you're an absolute bright light in the world.
1: Thanks so much. We'll definitely have to have you back on in the next season. There's so many more questions I have for you, but we'll have to wait to the next episode.
0: Can't wait already. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm not the only